listening to Ouija Broads. This is Devin. This is Liz. Hey, Liz, I have a Seattle story for you. <laughs> yeah, just like I asked for. Just like you asked. It is so accurate that having even the tiniest parameter from you mm-hmm. really helps me focus because otherwise I will spin off into a million half-researched, not even half-researched, quarter-researched stories and yes. panic and bring you bullshit the evening yeah, we I, record. I feel that. Like, that's another argument in the article I'm going to write someday about why your podcast should be on a niche topic. Yes. Because it's so helpful to know, like, I don't have to cover all of it. I only have, yep. like, five states and a bit. That's yep. my beat. And I'll yep. let somebody else worry about the rest of it. <laughs> and even with that, folks, we will still text each other a couple days before we tape going like, what do you want me to do? And I think I told you, like, I wanted a, a Seattle or a West Side story. And you told me yeah. you wanted, like, a happy one or a ghost. Yeah. and I didn't do that. But. <laughs> I mean, that was, ghost was one of the options to explain the phenomenon. So you yeah, were close. See? Yeah. Yeah. Good enough. Well, I do mm-hmm. I do have a Seattle one for you. It is not entirely staying in our lane because this Seattle store that I'm talking about kind of opens up the the weirdo box and talks about I don't know how to say this without like giving it away, but in talking about the yield curiosity shop here in Seattle telling you about the collection items in this store means that we're going to talk about things that aren't specific to the P&W. Okay. But that's I'm, fair, though. I'm okay with that because they're, they're weird things that I want to talk about mm-hmm. anyway, but I also didn't feel like I had to research the fuck out of a Fiji mermaid. I could just give you the highlight reel. Nice. Nice. Hook me up. I'm going to hook you up with a shop that was founded in 1899. Oh, I didn't realize it was legit from ye olde days. It is from ye olde days. It was not originally called ye olde curiosity shop. It was just... Well, that's fair. <laughs> you know. <laughs> ye- Samuel, why'd you name your store old? <laughs> it's your first day. Well, town's only been here for 10 minutes. <laughs> Listen, I got plans. <laughs> I got plans, man. Long range business plan. Yeah, back then it was called... I'm, I'm manifesting, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> Laws of attraction. If I called it Ye Nui Curiosity Shop, you'd think I wouldn't know my shit. Damn it. It it wasn't always called Ye Old Curiosity Shop, of course. It has had probably a dozen names throughout its life as a curio store. It's had five generations of owners, but they're all in the Stanley family. Oh, that's cool. Which is, I think, really neat. It started with Joseph Edward Stanley, who was known as Daddy Stanley, to family members when they are, they're talking about him in subsequent years. So Daddy well, Stanley- Well, I won't kink shame that. Don't even a little bit. I still call my dad Daddy. It's mm. just always, so there's no way that's ever going to be a thing for me, for anybody else. <laughs> just- Mm-mm. Not going to go there. But I'll call Daddy Stanley. Not your cup of tea. We'll call Daddy Stanley Daddy, because that's easier for me to remember than Joseph okay. Edward. Yeah. 
But Daddy moved from Colorado to Seattle in 1899. And that, of course, is at the the height of Seattle's Yukon boomtown days. Mm -hmm. Some of them have a little bit of money to burn. So Daddy's able to take advantage of this. Back in Colorado, he was a grocer, but he also traded in Native American artifacts. And mm-hmm. they had to move to Seattle for his wife's health. The air over here was better for her. So he brings these skills that he has as a salesman and as someone who's already dealing in, I hate to call them artifacts because they're of a living civilization, yeah. but we'll say collections items, I suppose. Yeah. Um, he opens up this shop downtown. It's called Stanley's Free Museum and Curio. And it sells a mixture of curiosities and of art objects. So, so it, it's a free museum, but also you can buy things? Free museum, but you can also buy things. So it's like a free museum like with a gift shop. Is like how Northwest Seed&Pet is actually <laughs> the Spokane Zoo? It's the Spokane Zoo. You're absolutely right. Oh, it's so, And that puppy's name is Parvo. And that puppy's name is Kennel Cough. Hey, Parvo is Latin for little. It works. Oh, man. That would be kind of a cute name, but not cute in <laughs> actuality. Good. But not actually really sad. Uh, When he moves to Seattle, like I said, daddy's already got some, some background that helps him as a salesman, but he's also on the cusp of what's known as the museum age or the museum period in, in time in America and Europe. And That's at the turn of the 20th century, late 1800s, early 1900s. There's this cultural boom that happened in Europe and America where a ton of museums are being built. People are really investing in the arts. They're they're really into the cultural and scientific and artistic discoveries that are happening all the fucking time. This is when a lot Mm -hmm. of colonialization is happening, of course, but we're contacting these uncontacted tribes. And so, you know, everybody's got to bring back a shrunken head for their museum and everybody's Mm got to have a mummy for their museum and everybody's got to have these weird insect specimens and you kill the last two Carolina parakeets in existence because you need to stuff them and put them in your museum. I've been debating whether to open with I might be pulling this out of my ass or it's business equivalent. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. But I think this is also the time at which they were starting to go, oh, public museums could be a thing for everybody. Yeah, Because it used to be like with the British Natural History Museum, I think, that you had to like apply yeah. and explain what you were going to do and prove that you weren't just like some rando who wanted to look at shit. Totally. And then somebody came along whose name I will not remember and was like, what if we let all the randos look at shit? Yeah. yeah. And they're like, but they, what if they got poor on it? <laughs> like, would be okay. Uh, uh, it, it That's what be- the rope is for. <laughs> That's why we have docents. Yeah. The docents keep the poor. You're exactly right. This was <laughs> the same rise of, it was called the Dime Museum. And it was yeah. museums, but lowbrow. And so museums could now, you know, they always had this this curatorial voice, this highbrow, cultured, we're very exclusive and we keep people out. But then people went, well, if we do lowbrow, if we do a dime museum and we make it a little bit like hokey, 
a little bit seedy, a little bit sexy, we can charge poor people a little bit of money for entertainment. And at the same time, we can proselytize. We can do this morality kind of thing as well. Ooh, okay. uh, but we can also educate and we can also inspire. And I mean, they'll never be one of the learned elite. But why can't we show them, you know, a pickled pig fetus and be like, yeah. biology. <laughs> there That's, it is. There it is. In a jar. Right there. Another thing that was happening at this same time, I mean, this was a huge renaissance for museums. You're, you're coming off like the Victorian curio cabinet, which was mm-hmm. taking big museums and making them personal. And then they're doing exactly what you said, which was taking high society museum concepts and making them accessible to the working class. And then between 1870 and 1950 is when Americans in particular were suddenly becoming aware that Native American groups were maybe dying out and they did the, you know, the white man rushed to preserve this vanishing culture. Instead of not killing the people, they were just like, let's buy up all your shit. We'll, We'll put it in museums. We'll have private dealers. All of this starts flourishing in that time. And so, Daddy Stanley, I don't think it's fair for me to say he was exploiting Native Americans. I don't think it's fair for me to say he was not exploiting Native Americans because he was a white man with money who was buying up artifacts or non-artifacts, you know, daily living items from Mm -hmm. existent tribes. But what a lot of sources say about Daddy Stanley was that he wasn't trying to come at it in a paternalistic way way he was trying to engage living artisans to represent their tribes themselves so okay that goal in itself is worthy that's great to say yeah. hey i'm not excited about this blanket because everyone who knows how to make it is dying i'm excited about this blanket because it's cool as shit and there's nothing like it can i buy it yeah that's that's a cool approach yeah but, I also want to be really aware of the fact that this is not what I study. These are not my people. Mm. I don't, I don't know how to talk about this without being an uninformed spectator. I do think it's really cool that daddy Stanley went to, among other people, he went to the princess of Pike place, Angeline and said, I'm going to hire you to make baskets for me to sell in my shop. What do you think of that? And she went, cool, let's do it. Nice. So, Angeline supplied him with baskets that he sold. He went to uh, Vancouver Island Carvers, the uh, Nucha Nuluth tribe, and mm-hmm. commissioned them to make new totem poles and new carvings that he could sell in his shop. Okay. I, like... I'm worried that if I, I, I think you feel this as well, like if I sign off on anything he's doing, it's going to sign off on the whole enterprise. But I will yeah. say there are less ethical ways he could have done this. There are totally less ethical ways. This was way before NAGPRA, folks. This is mm-hmm. when you could loot and pillage and let's call it what it was, you know, looting and pillaging grave sites and just being yeah. like, cool, this is a thing that I have now and I'm going to sell it to another white guy who wants a cool looking thing. So from what I have read, which is a collection of online articles, I didn't read any of the books about him. He sounds like I'm going to I'm going to say he's like chaotic neutral. You know, he's, <laughs> he, he doesn't sound like he's he didn't do anything so bad that 
made me just say, like, fuck you, I'm not going to talk about you in your shop at all. Okay. Sounds pretty good. But I also don't want to endorse, like you said, I don't know how to talk about a guy selling an existing people's culture. I mean, what I'm picking up from what you're laying down is that probably among his acquisitions, there's at least one piece that came into his hands a shitty way, right? Like, it was stolen and sold to him by somebody who had no right to it. And then on the other end, there's stuff where he's doing exactly what is appropriate, which is to approach an artist and say, I appreciate your art and I would like to purchase it. Yeah. Now, what proportion of what he bought fell on either end of that or is in the middle? I don't think we can know at this point. There you go. We can't know. And we also, so so I'll leave it at that. Whether or not he was good or bad, you said it wonderfully. I can't know. It does sound like the, the items that he exhibited in his shop, Daddy Stanley did a fairly good job as a more museum person than salesperson and was Hmm. whenever he knew this is what it was he would say here is a cribbage board made of walrus ivory by an inuit carver hey guess what they didn't play cribbage up there but you know this is their kind of traditional carving style so it's a it's a modern carving and it's an ancient art form reinterpreted in a modern fashion for a modern game. Cool. But he didn't always know that. So Daddy Stanley, by selling certain items, inadvertently perpetuated wrong stereotypes about existing cultural groups. Uh-oh, like what? Well, one of the things that I found out was that I didn't realize that totem poles were not actually associated with tribes in such a heavy way this far south and inland i know it doesn't feel like seattle's very far inland right but we're on puget sound with a bunch of Mm -hmm. islands we're not actually oceanic coastal totem poles apparently are more alaskan british columbian north of seattle and Uh, on the very coast like an olympic peninsula kind of coast But because Daddy Stanley sold them and commissioned them for sale in his shop, people Mm. began to associate them really heavily with the Seattle area tribes, even though they weren't the tribes that were typically using them or using them to the degree that other tribes were. But people would get one, and then people would be like, where'd you get that? Seattle. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. See, Seattle. And I guess there were, some, there were some other Alaskan items that Native Alaskan carvers made that Daddy Stanley had bought and sold in his store under the assumption that it was, like, a traditional brooch or a traditional headdress or whatever. And then hadn't either been informed or didn't fully understand that, like, no, it's like a dream catcher. They just made this shit for tourist consumption. Oh, uh, like, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a traditional artist using traditional artist tools and techniques, but it's not really something that they ever used themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. He wasn't a a good museum person in terms of following museum best practices, but 
He had his museum. He shed a lot of light on Native American carvers. Apparently, he was very well-known to a lot of tribal uh, high-ranking members of the day. You know, like I said, Chief Seattle's daughter came and hung out with him. A lot of folks said that he was the destination for inland Northwest tribes to come and check out stuff that was either from their culture or from other tribes' culture. And they were all kind of like, oh, this is cool. This is all a bunch of stuff in one place that people can see. That's great. That's really nice. Oh, okay. Other than Native American artifacts, what Yield Curiosity Shop became known for was Daddy Stanley's love of the kind of macabre, weird, eerie, creepy, sideshow kind of attractions. I was going to say, at what point does he acquire (laughs) the actual dead bodies? The mummy is exactly right. Sylvester is one of the two mummies currently on display at Yield Curiosity Shop. And Sylvester was put on display in the 1950s. I had a very hard time figuring out exactly who purchased Sylvester and in what year. But I'm going to tell you what I know from Yield Curiosity Shop's website and then what I've been able to piece together from a bunch of Seattle Times and Seattle PI articles since then. Okay. We're talking about Sylvester, and Sylvester is an extremely well-preserved mummy. According to their website, it says, quote, Who is Sylvester? Legends abound. He was a cowpoke who got drunk, passed out in the Arizona sun, died there, was double-crossed by his guide, and left for dead. He was John Wilkes Booth. He was a Wild West desperado, shot off his horse. We don't know for sure, and he isn't talking. So from their website, they are right off the bat. We're not quite sure who Sylvester <laughs> is. Yeah, I'm like, that was a lot of, of different ways to say we don't fucking know who this dead body is. We don't fucking know who but this dead worry, body is. But don't worry, it was from long ago. <laughs> so long ago, you guys, at least pre-1950s, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the most popular story is that it's the mummy that belonged to a gunfighter who was shot in a card game in 1895 in Arizona, and that he was shot... And clutching his stomach, he stumbled into the Gila Bend Desert where he died. And the desert is what preserved him as a mummy. And he is, I mean, like, he's disgustingly well-preserved. Like, he looks like an emaciated man carved out of wood. And he still has his mustache, which grosses me out to no end. Is it consistent? I guess, I don't know if I never have paid much attention to this or what, but, like... So he's a mummy that's not undergone any kind of mummification process. He's just a body that environmentally happened to become very well preserved. And that's like borne out by examinations of him. Yeah, it's a a naturally formed mummy, like as opposed to the Egyptian, we pull out all your bits and we dry at things. It's just, you know, kind of like when an animal dies in a hoarder's house. And it desiccates in such a way as to preserve. Well, so Sylvester's been examined a few times most recently. Yeah, like 2005, 2012. He's been on a National Geographic. And I think it was Travel Channel or the Smithsonian Channel, whichever they own. He's, He's 
been the subject of a couple studies recently because folks are like, okay, why the fuck do you have a dead body? What the fuck did he die of? Should we mm-hmm. know more about this guy? What's going on? So I think what it was- What permits do you need to display a dead body in downtown Seattle? Right? I know a couple people in Spokane who have human skeletons, like mm-hmm. anatomical models that are made out of real people. And I remember there was that curiosity shop called Belfry that recently had to close. And this wasn't why, but they also had real human skeletons that were anatomical models. And there was something about the the age of the specimen, plus the fact that it had been donated specifically for science meant that you could kind of mm-hmm. do whatever with the remains. Eh, I don't know. I, yeah, like, I don't know that any of that applies to Sylvester, I though. I don't know that it applies to Sylvester. But, so what He's these- just giving you flashbacks to, like, that story of the body on the boardwalk. Like, that thing that when they were going to tape the episode of the $6 million man, the mm-hmm. prop guy was, like, looking through this sort of tunnel of horror or whatever. And it was like, this dummy looks for crap. And then tried to pull it down, and it's, like, a dead Wild <gasps> West guy. No. Who's been getting, like, handed down the generations. And it's <laughs> just become a part of this shitty display. No. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, that's... So, nothing is going to shock me about Sylvester, up to and including he died in 1948. I'm just saying. Uh, That's what I wondered, too. Like, yeah, you say that it was 1895, but you didn't get the mummy until 1950, so there's... Yeah, so wait, you know when he died, but not how? Or who he is, or what happened? Or who he is, or any of that. So what happened was in, in, I think it was the 2005, they they won't do a full autopsy because that'll kill the mummy. Well, shit, that's not what I mean to say. That It'll destroy the mummy to, to uh-huh. you know, cut him open, whatever. But they did some analysis of a tissue sample and he's he's got arsenic in him, which oh. uh, means he was <gasps> at fly least- Flypaper Lida. <gasps> Flypaper Lida. Oh my God. I didn't even make that connection. There you go. Yeah. Research it up, girlfriend. Uh, Case closed. (laughs) What the arsenic means is that uh, he had some kind of professional embalming happen, and it likely happened shortly after he died. Okay, so that is a factor. That's not uh, like Egyptian-style mummification, but that's different than dried up in the Arizona desert. Yeah, that's different than making him jerky, you know? Yeah. This is chemical now at this point. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. So we've got that. Um, another analysis or further analysis in 2005 revealed they've done CT scans of Sylvester. They Good. know he's got a big hole in his stomach, but they aren't sure if that's what killed him. You know, the the legend, of course, is that he was in mm-hmm. a gunfight and he got shot in the stomach. There we go. Um, that is inconclusive that that's a bullet hole. It's also inconclusive that that's what killed him. Yeah, and um, that also, if it's a big hole in the stomach, that's the kind of thing that somebody who, like, was dressing him up in an yeah. outfit could see and go, aha. Yeah, right? I'll make up a story about <laughs> what, what happened there. great story that also, would be. Also, like, didn't, weren't you telling me that, like, embalming wasn't really kicking off as a thing in the late 1800s? Uh, it didn't really pick up until the Great War. It was the Great War that Butter Butterworth and Sons were yeah. really figuring out how to do it well to preserve people. I guess it, Civil War era they were 
also preserving people mm-hmm. to try to get them back home. But it was that World War II Butterfield kick, if I remember this. Or World War One. Or I think. World War One episode. Yeah, if I remember that yeah. episode right. Uh, that that's when he was really figuring out how to embalm bodies well. Um, well, that's what makes me curious, though, is did Sylvester cross paths with Butterworth? Is that why he was somewhat well embalmed mm. at a time at which a lot of people didn't know how to do that? Because he's in the right place. He's in the right place. Uh, well, he's in the right the right region, and it's probably the right-ish year unless he actually was dead and mummified in the Seattle area in 1895. That's pre-Butterworth. As one place suggests, what the prevailing theory is that it is a mummy that actually belonged to the notorious con man Soapy Smith, who was grifting in and around Colorado and Alaska. Okay. And sold a mummy he called McGinty, in Hilliard, Washington, in 1985. 1985? Sorry, 1895. Okay. So, so the con aspect of this is what? Or it's just associated with Soapy Smith? Oh, Soapy Smith is a con man. Who oh, yeah, also no, I'm, happened I'm to have... I'm familiar with his stick, but yeah. like, what, what, where's the prophet in a mummy? Well, I, I or just have one because you're weird. I, I don't. I think you just have one because you're weird. Because he's doing all kinds of bullshit, and then he goes up and gets killed in the shootout in Alaska in nineteen or in eighteen ninety eight. You know, we gotta do Soapy Smith one of these days. Right. He's been on my radar ever since the pig races at the state fair oh, this year. They man. one of the piglets was named Soapy Smith. Oh, that's precious. Oh. Yeah, that was the he was the one our section was cheering for. Lydia was the cheerleader. I would definitely cheer for a piglet named Soapy Smith. Okay, well, one of us and has he's to... an Alaskan racing pig. <gasps> what? Oh my god! And I'm going to tell you about a pig here later in this episode. <gasps> Goosebumps! So I'm really hung up on Sylvester for some reason. You really <laughs> fucking are. That's that's totally okay. The thing is. I don't know much about Sylvester because nobody else knows much about Sylvester. We know that he shows up in 1950 at Yield Curiosity Shop. They don't have or won't disclose that they have records on how he was acquired. The oral history is that he's this Arizona gunman, but another guy has done some independent research Using a photograph that's confirmed of McGinty, Soapy Smith with mm-hmm. McGinty, and oh. they're, they're using this photograph up against Sylvester, saying it's the same fucking damn guy. Like, how many mustachioed jerky men are hanging out in Washington in 1895? There, there couldn't possibly be two of them. This has to be the same dude. He had to have been McGinty sold in Washington in 1895, and then who the fuck knows what happens to him for 55 years until he turns up in Yield Curiosity Shop. We don't know how. Hmm. Uh, I mean, that just moves the mystery back one notch. Yeah. But it would help. 
But it would but help. S- but still, I so as long as you just are really vague about where you got it, you can just have a dead body? Apparently. <laughs> okay. Apparently. <laughs> I, I think that's the part of it that just throws me the most is like, yeah, with an anatomical skeleton or a donated cadaver, like there's a chain of custody and there's some legal... <laughs> established like okay yes the person was okay with this like they're sorry i i I was forced actually to study a fair amount of law about like organ donation yeah and sort of what rights do the dead have for bodily integrity and having their wishes honored yeah because healthcare administration can get kind of weird sometimes i bet and so i guess i'm just so hung up on the idea that (laughs) it seems to be that because we have no idea who this is we're just gonna leave him in a glass case at the back of a gift shop i know i mean i don't know where to put him He's used to it now. He's used to it. He likes it. He enjoys Don't the put attention. put him in a cemetery. It'll just rile him up. <laughs> how dare He likes it. It's excitement. <laughs> they got him a wife. All his friends are here. They got yeah. him a wife. They got him Sylvia. What more do you want, dude? <laughs> Please tell it's, me about Sylvia. I didn't research her because she wasn't the interesting one. They just, okay. they needed to get Sylvester a wife, so they have Sylvia. No, this is where it comes into play that Daddy uh, Daddy Stanley and the other Stanleys, like I said, I'm glad they're running a, a, a curiosity shop, but it sure as shit ain't a real museum because the provenience and the provenance of Sylvester mm-hmm. are both lost to fucking time. We have no idea yeah. where he's from. No, they're from. the same. It's, don't fucking worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> don't worry about it. It's cool. Yeah. It's fine. It's cool. It's cool. Be cool, cool for Be like cool. a second. Yeah, just just hang on. Just just chill out for a minute. It's fine. We're fine. God. So Sylvester is on display. Do you want to know from their website what we do know about Sylvester? Okay. At the age of I'll death, he was thirty-five to forty years old. Current weight, 137 pounds. Weight at death, probably 240 pounds. Probably at least chubby, if not fat. The wet-looking areas of his body are exuded lipids. Skeleton indicates he was not a laborer. Gunshot blast didn't kill him. Steel pellets did not penetrate scalp, though he was shot from close range. They are completely healed over probably several Probably several years before death. For some reason... So he, he was rolling around with, like, pellets in his scalp? <laughs> if you look at the picture of him, yeah, you can see these bumps on his face, and it's because he's got buckshot in his fucking face. Okie doke. That, as they say, for some reason, he never sought medical attention. Yeah. Here's the yeah. one that I saved for you, because I don't have a fucking answer. MRI and CT images collected November 19, 2005, show all internal organs preserved at two-thirds original size. I don't know why they shrank them, Liz. <laughs> I don't know. Because they dried up? I don't know. Is this like how Cubby's little glucosamine treats say that they were calculated, like, at their hydrous weight? Because they might... 
vaporize some water or something. <laughs> I don't know. I just I like the idea that they took out his organs and put back some dollhouse ones. <laughs> or something. Two-thirds. They're salesman samples. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like when you get really excited for something that looks cool on the catalog, and then you get it, and you're like, this is a doll chair. This is a doll chair. No wonder it was so cheap. <laughs> Damn you, drunk Amazon. Shopping. <laughs> Damn you, wish app. Damn you, wish app. Oh, man. So we don't know much about... Do you have any other questions about Sylvester that you want me to not be able to answer? I was going to say, I have a million questions about <laughs> Sylvester, but I've taken up enough of our time <laughs> fretting about this guy. Let's go have a seance let's with a, Sylvester. Let's do it. Be like, buddy, sit down and rap with me a minute. Who the fuck you be? Yeah. Really, I just have one question. You good? Are you okay? You good, man? Yeah. One knock for yes, two knocks for get me the fuck out of here. I'm tired of being on a glass fucking display case where kids make faces at me. Yeah. Yeah. No no matter what, I think that, and I am not usually super, I don't want to say disrespect, I don't want to say that I'm not respectful of the the dead but i guess i don't have the like you need to embalm me and put me in the tomb and then put me in a piece of earth and that earth can never be used for anything else ever again Mm -hmm. so i'm not like overly precious about dead people or human remains but i don't think that's cool man that guy's got no fucking consent in what he's but well maybe he did maybe he signed a waiver in 1895 liz that said turn me into jerky and put me in a glass box I really doubt it. Kind like, you know, they're it. still doing that, right? Yeah. Like, if you buy an Egyptian mummy on the black market, oh, yeah. you may well be getting a person from 2018 yeah. who got murdered. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. So cancel that transaction on yeah. your annex. Exactly. Because <laughs> now I've told you what's what. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's just the part that perturbs me is the idea that, like, you can end up in really a very few generations with nobody caring. Well, you know what? It's not fair to say nobody cares about where his body is. Totally. People care about where his body is. Then very 99% of bodies in the world. Right. Oh, we should, we should get a sample and do the 23 and me on him. Oh, snap. Find him some relatives. I wonder if the arsenic fucked it up. I don't know. Well, here, Liz, that's basically just people taxidermy. Let's talk about taxidermy you like, which is, Bad animal taxidermy. Yeah, Let's talk about Fiji mermaids. Oh, yes. Because Please do. Of course, the Yield Curiosity Shop has its own Fiji mermaid. Do you want to tell folks what a Fiji mermaid is supposed to be and what it actually is? So it's just supposed to be a mermaid, right? Yeah. Like, and what it is is like half a monkey glued mm-hmm. to half a fish. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the original Fiji mermaid that everyone knows about that it got its name from was, of course, exhibited by P.T. Barnum in 1842. I'm trying to remember from my notes because I can't find it in my notes right now. So 1842 sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, Well, the original Fiji mermaid, apparently, this is another part where researching online is tricky, man, because you get a couple places that say... Oh, yeah, Fiji mermaids were being created by Japanese or uh, fishermen from the East Indies. So Japanese fishermen or East Indies fishermen. They had been created by them for for years. 
either as Why? either as, as religious items or just because they were funny, just as a joke. And I'm like, what fucking po- give me a first source. Give me a, a give me actual evidence instead of circle jerk somehow <sighs> circularly referencing each other's articles. Which one of you came out first? Which one of you made this claim first? But anyway, the the idea is that in 1822, a ship's captain purchased this particular Fiji mermaid from a sailor. And it had been made by a Japanese fisherman. But the sailor was like, oh, yeah, it's totally a real mermaid. And then the ship's captain leveraged $6,000 against his ship to buy this thing. $6,000 oh, in honey. 1822. Oh, honey. Did he see it first? He saw it first. He lost and his... And he went, wow. He still had to have this fucking monkey giblet thing. So he bought yeah, it. Yeah, I like the way it looks like the parts that you forgot to took out of, take out of the turkey before you <laughs> cooked it. Really does but it it's for got me. Creepy hands. Oh, it's got the gross hands. Oh yeah, and when you read about it online, they make sure to talk about how one hand, one you know, paw, but one hand is is under its chin, and the other is dramatically grasping at the air as though it was, you know, oh dear, clutching itself as it was being plucked from the ocean, and like it's just this fucking ugly ass little poor baby monkey that got all fucking Frankenstein with this poor ass fish that never knew what the fuck was happening. Probably didn't even eat the good parts. They were just like, nope, no more head for you. So this little buddy on. So anyway, the yeah. original Fiji mermaid is lost to history. They think they, being people who research P.T. Barnum and want to know where the original Fiji mermaid is, are like, it is one of the collections items, one of the hundreds and thousands of collection items that burned up in one of Barnum's many fires. Yeah. So this is not the original Fiji mermaid or the Fiji mermaid that popularized Fiji mermaids, but one of the Fiji mermaids that once Barnum had one, everyone had to have one. So... Yield Curiosity Shop exhibits theirs and labels it as the thing. And Oh yeah. Yeah, that ugly little thing. And this is another one where a lot of resources tell me that Daddy Stanley was as honest as he could be in exhibiting collections items, and yet on Yield Curiosity Shop's website, they say that Daddy Stanley bought it from a fisherman named Smith who claimed to have shot the creature off the shores of Duckabush, Washington. Ah, Washington. And uh, in their quote, they say, quote, according to Stanley, capturing the creature traumatized Smith because it looked so human. The poor fellow almost broke down, uh, Stanley was quoted. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this he was quoted. Maybe it looks in, better before it dried out. Right, it does not look human. It looks like a gorilla suit. It looks like a fish wearing a gorilla suit. Um, yeah. But the the point is, Stanley in this article referenced by Yield Curiosity Shop seems to buy into the idea that this is a real creature and not a bad taxidermy job. So I'm like, okay, if I if I believe that, then I stop thinking that Stanley was such a great 
uh, patron of museums or keeper of these artifacts. Um, he sounds just like any other P.T. Barnum kind of huckster guy. Yeah. Because when you look that's... at it, dude, it's not its not even a good Fiji mermaid. It is. It no. seriously looks like a weird little monkey doll gorilla suit sewn onto a dried up fish skeleton. It is not put together well. It's no. not convincing. I mean, I will never underestimate how weird the shit that comes out of the ocean is, but yeah. I can't imagine this thing looked better fresh. <laughs> well, Smith the uh, Smith the fisherman was purportedly traumatized, Liz, so if that's as good as it looked fresh, I'd have been traumatized too. He was so traumatized he sold it to a curiosity shop. <laughs> He had to get rid of it, That's Liz. what I do when I shoot something that I feel bad about shooting. How many things have you shot that you feel bad about? None. Yeah, you feel good about <laughs> all of them. But really, I'm just working backward from, I guess, if it's good enough for Sylvester, it's good enough for the thing. But did you know they used to have a place in Seattle where if you caught a really weird looking fish, you could hang it up so everybody could look at it? What? All right. Kay. So, yeah, this thing. Yeah, they used to have a museum. And if you just, or not even a museum, they used to have a cold room. <laughs> and if you caught a real weird fish, you would put it up there so everybody could go, wow, that's a fucking weird fish. That's a weird ass looking thing. And I mean, I get it. Like you said, I will, I will also never underestimate the amount of weird shit that can come out of the water. But how, how many times was this room used? Like, you only have to see a pike one time to go like, that's weird looking and I never want to see it again. I legitimately don't know. I found one picture from this room one time when I was like wandering deep in the online archives mm -hmm. of <laughs> Washington State Historical, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever. And I just, there's like just a picture of this sort of stern looking fisherman and he's <laughs> in this brick room and there's a fish. <laughs> So I, I guess it was just he got like a really weird specimen of a fish. <laughs> well, good for you, buddy. I'm glad you shared that with everyone. That's yeah, here we go. From 1926 to 1956, the Port of Seattle operated the Frozen Fish Museum on the Port Spokane Street Wharf, now Terminal 30. Strange fish would be presented to the museum <laughs> where it could be viewed. Stop it. I need to look that up. That sounds incredible. I don't know if these fish look super weird or not. <laughs> I can't tell. I'm proud of you for not judging them, Liz. Yeah, but this guy's like, he's he's like, he's wearing a flannel shirt and he's standing on a little stepladder. And I can't tell if he's like taking a fish down from the rafter or hanging it up. But <laughs> either way, I, I think the provenance and provenience game of museums in this era hadn't been much improved by what daddy was doing, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy wouldn't make it at all better. No. 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 Well, one of the few specimens that they have that is this weird-ass thing that we can pretty conclusively tell you what it actually is and what the provenance and provenience is are, you know how, like, fairs and sideshows just love exhibiting two-headed calves and four-legged ducklings yeah, and shit like I've that? some of those. Ugh, it's so gross. Well, this one is, it's a little piglet. I told you there were pigs involved. It's um, its one of those wet specimens that I fucking hate. Don't 
<laughs> ever give me anything preserved in a jar of alcohol, I will throw it away. It's so gross. But this is, they just call it the piglet. I don't know why they haven't named it. You know, they've named fucking everything else they've got. But this is a genetically anomalous pig with supernumerary limbs, which I learned is called polymelia. This okay. piglet uh, was born, so it was uh, not a fetus. It was a full-term birth, and it had eight legs, three eyes, three mouths, two noses, and two ears. And I like how they throw in two ears, like, oh, wow, two ears. Both of them had, but I guess if, you know, they didn't suggest ears at all, you might think it had none. Okay, yeah. Maybe? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Good, good point. But it was born in a litter of 17 piglets, the others of which were normal, on Alfred Casey's ranch in East Salem, Washington in 1944. Did they just huck it directly into the jar of alcohol, or did it just not survive very long because of the situation? I don't know, but my assumption is... If you're born that fucked up, you don't live to be fucked up very long. And then they not would've... if you're a little pig competing with sixteen other piglets. No, and you got three mouths to feed. Ugh, that's not working out well. Mm. Uh, so that little piggy, yeah, little piggy. Um, you went into show business. Yield Curiosity Shop is, of course, not the only kind of curiosity shop. In Seattle or in Washington. And I'll just touch really briefly on two others so that in case people are in the area, I think you should check them out. The first one is Archie McPhee. Have you ever been there? Mm -hmm. No, but I've seen their products really far afield, like New Orleans. Yeah, man. Their catalogs get around. Archie McPhee, Mm -hmm. if, if you don't know what it is, it's kind of... It's not like a Spencer's, it's not like a party supply store, it's not like a dollar store, but it's like a weird mix of all those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just have, they have a lot of, of Bigfoot merchandise, which I appreciate, but they're all just kind of weird, kind of tacky, kind of gag gifty, but they also lean on the dime museum aspect where you can put a quarter in a a slot and, you know, then look through it and, oh, it's the world's tallest man. Yeah, which Old Curiosity Shop does too. You yes. can get like a little fortune or various things mm-hmm. like that. I mean, the same thing mm-hmm. is in the Pike Place Market itself. Yeah. If you go down there, you can see what is it, the, the world's tallest man's shoes. His shoes, <laughs> yep. If you put a little quarter or whatever in a slot, then yeah. it, you know, like, like a... Like, wow, then sure are some fucking big shoes. Some big fucking shoes. Tell you what, I saw size 22 sneakers at a Ross one time. Whoa. Biggest fucking shoe. They're on my Instagram. I had to take a picture of that shit. Yeah. Biggest fucking that, shoes. That seems like the kind of thing that should be specially routed to the people who need that kind of shoe. And not just, like, thrown there right. at a Ross to be missed forever and unappreciated there's like one person in the world that needs those shoes just give them to that person yeah just how many of them did you make how many of them did you make was this shaquille o'neal special ordered them and he looked at them and he went nah so they they, uh, they that's probably what routed them to ross what the fuck man but anyway yeah. archie mcphee has a. it's much like a fiji mermaid on display it's a taxidermied specimen 
called the Wallingford Beast. The Wallingford Beast? The Wallingford Beast. And Wallingford is the neighborhood that Archie McPhee is in. They have on their website, this caught me for a minute because there's a newspaper article from 1934. They have a picture of an old Seattle Times newspaper with a headline that says, Mysterious Beast Stalked in Wallingford. And I was like, oh, fuck. So the Wallingford Beast was like a real thing that then Archie McPhee went and made a fake taxidermy specimen of to kind of like keep this this thing alive oh, and that's interesting okay and, no, and then i'm like no no photoshop's a fucking thing it's it's not a real old <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be a publicity or just inside joke who knows how much publicity it got them but in 2010 on their website they're like oh here's this old article and then also we caught this strange thing on our security camera. Is it, is it maybe the Wallingford beast is back? And it was people, you know, in the article and I'm using air quotes here, it says it's like a monkey headed insect looking creature that can scale walls. Sure. (laughs) Right. Bizarre. (laughs) Nothing is going to top the Mothman museum headline that I took a photograph of when I stopped at the Mothman museum, which I'll remember till my dying day. Mm -hmm. Four more say they saw red eyed, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. I was just a whatever officer. I don't know. I don't know. Red eyes, red eyed, whatever. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, the world is perfect. That headline changed my life. Oh, I'm so happy. That's Mm. as. Oh, that's up there with what are you going to do? Stab me? Says man who was (laughs) stabbed. Wrapping the 509. Don't believe in rhetorical questions around here in the Lilac City. Nope. Nope. Oh, wonderful. Well, throughout the 2010, Archie McPhee released these other like security camera footage, or they were like, we we caught a, a photo of a of a blur in our warehouse. And anyway, eventually one of their store employees managed to capture the Wallingford Beast. And you know, they're not really, they don't think it's dead. They think it's just sleeping, but it's on <laughs> display in its glass terrarium in the Archie McPhee store. And it's exactly what it sounds like, much like a Fiji mermaid with the, the front part of a body and the back part of a gross thing. And it hangs out in there and you can take photos and they just ask that you don't do flash photography because that interrupts its hibernation. <gasps> Well, that's really cute. I appreciate yeah. the effort that they put into that. Yeah, it it was exciting, and then it pissed me off, and then I was like, "Oh, guys, you're just you're just goofing, you're just playing with each other," and that makes me really happy. Oh, um, see, now I can tell this is a fake newspaper because it just has a headline. Just one. That yeah, <laughs> not like seven <laughs> sub headlines getting increasingly smaller, <laughs> saying more and more about the story before it actually starts. More and more preamble, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So I think is is the third one you're going to talk about marshes? Because no. I was completely no. I was picturing the Wallingford Beast as the thing on the Marshes Curiosity Shop bumper stickers. What's the Marshes Curiosity Shop? 
Uh, it might have been something I made up in my head. Uh, oh, it's in Long Beach, Washington, Marsh's Free Museum. No way. I don't know about Jake this. Jake the Alligator King. Oh, I He's a- half man, half gator. Yeah, Jake the Alligator King. Well, I know Jake the Alligator King thing, but I didn't know that was like a... I didn't know that it came from a place. I don't know why I thought it was like, you know, just fucking anybody can make weird bumper stickers. Yeah. Yeah, no, they apparently... Are, are right on the uh, same track from the 30s. I'm just catching this up very quickly. Yeah, as you're reading along. <sighs> oh, okay. Yeah, when the passenger liner Admiral Benson went aground in the fog near Cape Disappointment in 1935, the enterprising Wellington Marsh Sr. sensed a business opportunity and hurriedly opened a temporary hamburger stand <laughs> to feed the curious onlookers. It was a beginning... Okay, so then he gets a tavern and be- builds the Marsh's Free Museum. Okay. Okay, yeah, so they've got skeletons and heads and Jake the Alligator Man... America's largest collection of glass fishing floats. All right. Eight-legged lamb, peep show, antique games. Okie dokie. It's a nice... All right. So it's a totally separate thing. It's not Jake the Alligator Man. The Wallingford Beast is like a cricket monkey. It's a cricket monkey. You're absolutely right. a tarantula monkey. It's got a lot of legs, man. I'm trying to take a good look at this thing. I can't... I think this was a chicken at one point. (laughs) I think this is a rotisserie chicken <laughs> oh, that no. they left in the back of the fridge. Oh, no. Put a doll head on. Oh, dear. Oh, I don't need to look that up. No, the other okay. the other place I was going to talk about was Wonders of the World in Spokane. I was going to point out Spokane's Wonders of the World in the flour mill because not only is it cool as fuck and you can go buy a bunch of rocks, I like that they display Annie that is the name of the 50,000-year-old skeleton of a cave bear that they have. Yeah. They have it for sale, but that thing's been on display and for sale since I was a kid, so they haven't managed to sell it in 34 years. Yeah, I imagine they just put up the sign to forestall the questions of, is the bear for sale? That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Sure. Do you have $42,000 that you're going to drop on a cave bear skeleton? Yeah, and also a rental truck. <laughs> a tall ceilinged room. Really fucking tall ceilinged room. Do you do you know how you have to insure a, a, a skeleton that you're then going to transport in a U-Haul to your home? I don't know if State Farm will take out that much money. <laughs> um, I got really excited because I thought I got to, you know, research cave bears to tell you all about but apparently cave bears only existed in prehistoric times in europe and asia so it's not a pacific northwest specimen so there's no point in me researching it we had saber-toothed cats around here though we had saber-toothed cats we had those fucking weirdo rhino things yeah Um, you know a lot of god's mistakes (laughs) (laughs) island of misfit toys over this way None of you survived. You just weren't good at adapting. They'll probably end up having lasted longer than we will. Mm, Let's be real. Good point. (laughs) Okay, I'm getting a little punchy and it's time to go to bed. All right, my friends. Fix it, Devin. I can't fix it. I can tell you to follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. 
<laughs> you should rate, review, and subscribe to us on Pod tunes and I bean is what mm-hmm. was coming out of my mouth because it's 10 o'clock at night and we've been recording for three hours on Woo. iTunes and Podbean and go to our website and give us money at Patreon. I don't know what else I want you to do other than, oh, go check out. Uh, it's a podcast called Insanely Haunted and the beautiful couple who runs it, Max and Cassie, had me on the show recently and All they do are make fun of the terrible, awful people at Ghost Adventurers. Every I gotta listen. Is the episode out? The episode is out. I am talking about the Lizzie Borden house. Oh, sweet. They're wonderful. Uh, Not only are they very funny, and Max is really fucking good at keeping us on task. I'm not... What's that like? Really sure how you get that skill, but I don't have it. They're both delightful. Their other episodes are great, but I do think you should go check out the Lizzie Borden episode because I'm on it. Uh, so thank you, Max and Cassie, for having us as the Ouija Broads, having me represent the Ouija Broads on your show. Yeah, I wanted to do it, but I cannot do all the things. You cannot do all the things. I think you should do the next one. They're they're just a kick. So anyway, go check us out there. But more than that, I want you to come check us out on our website and on Patreon and on Facebook. And I will be done with my two jobs and too many passion projects soon and focusing more on Ouija broads and just one paying job so I can hang out with people online a lot more often. Cool. That is how I am going to live weird. But is that how you will die weird? I don't know, but it is how I will stay weird. Nice. There you go. I had to mix it up somehow, man. 